0: My name is Chuck. I have a new life in Christ. I struggle with lust, codependency control, and this week, a fair amount of anxiety. Good to see everybody tonight. I also serve here on Monday nights as a Regen coach, which means I partner with step group leaders and coaches in groundwork, partner with their groundwork leaders to help make that experience as good as possible. And I also help Regen churches all over the country develop and start their region ministries. So that's why I get an opportunity to kind of be here tonight and share with you a little bit. But I want to kind of tell you that this is about unpacking the book of Romans. Romans 9-11 is my specific task, but we have been on this journey of kind of at a high level understanding and really kind of uh, figuring out what is Paul trying to say to us as he is speaking to the Roman church. And so I thought I'd start tonight by giving you at least a bit of my story. So October 17th, 2021, a week from this past Sunday, I got to celebrate an anniversary. For it was on October 21st, 2005, that I was released from the Huntsville unit in Huntsville, Texas as a prisoner. What you see in that red bag that I'll talk about more in just a few minutes is everything I owned in the earth on that moment I was released. Now, I have to tell you a little bit about that day. That day was amazing. I had traveled for three days to get to Huntsville. Once I had gotten to Huntsville, I was sitting there that night. I woke up at one. I'm going, man, what if, what if they got this wrong? What if this isn't today? What if they're going to send me back, ship me back? What and I had the what ifs out the wazoo. It was crazy. I was just kind of psyching myself out. Five o'clock in the morning, they came and got me and they took me to this staging area where everybody else who was gonna be released that day was. And when I got there, they took me and they began to dress me out. Let me tell you why that's important. For the last nine and a half years I'd been incarcerated, I had worn a white shirt, white pants, and really ugly black boots. And so on dress out day, they decided, you know what, let's add some color to his life. So they gave me a bright yellow shirt, some really ugly purple pants and the same black boots. And I'm thinking, man, y'all are dressing me like a clown, but I don't care because I'm going to walk out of this moment and I'm going to be a free man. What was cool about that is I remember all the things, the steps I took. And so on that day, we go down this long hallway and there's this, there's this barrel that is there. And as I was walking by, I stopped a second, and I looked in that barrel, and in that barrel were Bibles, every translation, every size that you could imagine. And I'm sitting there really in a great deal of sadness because I'm thinking, you mean the Word of God that sustained you all these years you were locked up? in this moment where you're going out into the world, where you really are going to be exposed to everything you could possibly be exposed to, this is the moment that you decided to give up on God and drop your Bible in that barrel. And the reason that caused so much sadness for me in that moment is man, for the last five years, I can't say for the first four and a half, but for the last 5 years i got to experience the goodness and the sovereignty of god a god who is a promise making promise keeping god a god who wants nothing but good for all of us you can't read romans 9 to 11 and not talk about god's sovereignty so what does God's sovereignty mean? It means there's no limits to God's rule. What is part of what it means to be God? He is sovereign over the whole world and he's sovereign over everything that happens in it. He's never helpless, he's never frustrated, he's never at a loss, and in Christ, God's awesome sovereign providence is the place where I felt the most reverent, the most safe. And ultimately, the most free. See, I'd already experienced a new life in Christ. And I'd already experienced what it means to be free. The potty can be caged but God sets us free in lots of different places. And so in the book of Romans, Paul has built this incredible argument and he's talking about what it means to have that kind of freedom, what it means to accept the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ that was for the Jew first and then also to all of us who are Gentiles. And so in Romans chapter seven, he talks about the law. A couple of weeks ago, Bryce kind of illustrated that for us with a makeup mirror and he's asking a question. What is the purpose of this law? If the Jews were God's chosen people, if Israel was God's chosen nation, and he gives them these laws that were there, and those laws were good, and they showed Israel how they were supposed to live, why is it that Israel didn't keep the law? Why couldn't they keep? The law, because the more laws they received, the more they replayed the sin of Adam over and over again, that I really want to be God. I want to make the decisions that only God should make for my life. I want to be the one that sits in that seat, and therefore the law made Israel that much more guilty, and that's the point. God's goal was to make it clear that evil had hijacked the heart of man. The law, good as it was could do nothing about the hard issue that you and I have. And so Romans chapter 7 is this place where we sit there and and we wonder, what is Paul going to do then in Romans chapter 8? And you can't read Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2 without your heart beginning to sing and your feet beginning to dance. As Paul says, therefore, remember what I, what I just said? That, man, you know, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, those are the things I do. What a wretched man I am who can save me from this body of sin. Therefore, there is no condemnation. No condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So the law is like a magnifying glass that shows every flaw that we have. And Paul says in Romans eight, the gospel has set you free from all of that and has helped us understand we can't keep the law. But by the Spirit of God, we're able to do what the law really wanted us to do in the first place, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to relationally love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And so if you look at Romans 1 through 8, in reality, it's one central thread of thought. So there are questions, though, that it raises if you know the story of the Old Testament, Paul's argument begging is this. What about God's promises to the nation of Israel? Will God remain faithful to Israel? And in chapters 9 through 11, Paul gives an unequivocal answer to that. He says yes, because God is a promise-making promise keeping God. In Genesis chapter 15, he made a promise to Abraham that he was going to make of him a great nation and give him land and seed and blessing. And when you come to Romans 9 through 11, you go, okay, how is God going to fulfill all of that? So chapter 9 is about Israel's past. Chapter 10 is about Israel's present. And chapter 11 is about Israel's future and so in chapter 9 you see Paul's anguish over his fellow Israelites who don't see Jesus as the Messiah and in chapter 9 Paul reminds everyone that being an ethnic Israelite was never the point. God always used a subset if you will of Abraham's family. He chose Isaac over Ishmael. He chose, he chose Jacob over Esau. You see it happen over and over. Again. And this promise is carried on by those who follow Jesus. People both inside and outside God's family have rejected God's will. And then also in chapter nine, he uses two illustrations of that. He uses the golden calf story, which is kind of illustrated through a quote in Exodus 33, and he uses Pharaoh's rebellion. God's people, while Moses is receiving the law on the mountain, have formed an idol and they're worshiping the idol, God's chosen people. And at the same time, Pharaoh, who was not a part of God's chosen people, he had rejected God by hardening his heart on a continuous basis and saying no to what God was doing. The Jewish people were to be God's chosen people and he intended them to be a light and a blessing to all the nations of the earth. They were, a set, they were a group of priests, men and women set apart, set apart to do the things in the world that God would have them to do so the world could understand that God is not only not mad at us, God has a plan, and that plan is going to be fulfilled regardless of what anyone does to try to short-circuit their pl- that plan. It wasn't that God's word had failed. It wasn't that God was unjust. But listen, listen, What they tried to do is what you and I tried to do. They tried to relate to God with a works-based identity. That if I'm good enough, if I keep the law well enough, if I'm able to check everything in the box, I will be completely and evermore justified. But it's never been about keeping the law. It's always been about faith. And you never can leave Romans 9 without understanding this. From start to finish and everywhere in the middle, salvation, your new life in Christ is 100% about what God has done. The gospel has never been about do. The gospel has always been about done what Christ has done for us. Ephesians 1, if you look at verses 3 through 6, you'll hear Paul sit there and say, Before the foundations of the earth, God saw you in Christ. This has always been his plan. And God has always been a promise-making, promise-keeping God. And so you get to Romans 10, which is about Israel's present, and you can't read Romans 10 without really focusing on verses 8 through 10. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is, in the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. The reason the Israelites rejected Jesus is they were trying to approach God on the basis of their resume. And listen, if we're honest, we've tried to approach God that way sometimes too. We thought if we can just get this many things right, we will be in good, good shape. Salvation was near to the Jewish people just like it's near to us, but we have to stop insisting to relate to God on the basis of what we are able to do. What we do is in response to what God has done and God himself even creates that want to within us. Salvation is 100% about what God has done. Really, we come to God like this. Hands that are completely empty. There's an old hymn that has a verse in it that says, nothing in my hands I bring. I don't have anything to bring to God. Simply to the cross, I cling. It's what God has brought to me in the person of Jesus. So in chapter 11, Paul asks, what's Israel's future? And is God written off his people? And the answer to that is no, because there are tons of Jews who, rep- who, who believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Paul says, I'm one of those people. I believe that Jesus has saved me. I understand that but there're many that don't. And yet God has used every bit of that for his good purpose. He's taken the rejection of the Jews and others and he has continued to make his family larger, more multi-ethnic, more people grafted in. In fact, He uses this illustration of this olive tree and he says, those who've rejected Christ are like branches who have been broken off. The tree is still there and those that accept Christ have been grafted into the tree and now they have this new life because they are now abiding in that vine and that vine is is Jesus himself. And Paul says one day Jesus will be acknowledged by his own people, but he doesn't give any details as to how. But here's what Paul is trusting. God is a promise-making, promise-keeping God. And since he has made a promise, Paul knows he's going to fulfill that promise. He doesn't have to know all the details, but he knows exactly how he is going. He knows that God is going to fulfill it even though he doesn't understand in this moment how. So let me just stop there for a second and let you kind of wrestle with this. Where are you as you think about this moment? Because here's what I know. God loves you. God's not mad at you. God wants a relationship with you. In fact, he wants a relationship to the point that he sends his son into the world to pay the price, the penalty for what you and I have done. We serve an awesome God. And as we look at this and as we think about this, you and I have an opportunity to cooperate with what God is doing by being light in this dark world. Listen, when Jesus tells us that we're to be salt and light, salt is put into the world, and by as a preservative, as a seasoning, it makes the environment it's placed in better. When you're called to be the light of the world, light comes into darkness, and every time light is is inserted into environment, it makes that environment better. You and I have the opportunity to do that only because of what God has done in Christ. I discovered that in May of 2000. I'm still locked up. My then young wife came to me and told me, I'm leaving you. And in that moment, I was absolutely devastated. I walked out of that prison visitation room. I got finally to my cell, and when I got there, I picked up the Bible that I had on my table. I had been someone who understood the rules of being a Christian, but knew nothing of the relationship of what it means to be in Christ. And I picked that Bible up and I reared back and I threw it as hard as I could against the wall. And I looked up to the ceiling of that cell and goes, I don't even know who you are. I don't know why in the world I should trust you. Granted, I wasn't looking at the things that got me incarcerated that put me in that situation, but I'm sitting there angry at God. And then I looked down at that Bible, and that Bible was, was open to Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6. It just lets you know that God has this incredible sense of humor at times. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. I kid you not, I read that, and I got down on the floor of that cell, and I pounded the floor of that cell as hard as I could, sitting there saying, I don't know how to do that. And then I realized I'd prayed the most honest prayer of my life. I didn't. I didn't know how to I had no clue how to do it. A seminary degree, a 16-year ministry career, degree, I failed to realize that the gospel isn't about do. The gospel is about done. And I leaned against the wall of that prison cell and I sat there and told myself Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth, and you believe in your heart that Jesus has been raised from the dead. It's the gospel. You'll be saved. Walked out of prison with all of this stuff, but it wasn't much of anything. See, I walked out with a lot more. Every day for 21 years, I have been praying, God, teach me how to trust you. And every day I'll try to figure out what it means for me to trust you and I'll follow in your pathway. And that promise making, promise keeping God has never failed me. Not one time. You know, I came out with some good stuff a hot pot, a really ugly bowl. I came out with a radio that you can see through because after all, we criminals might hide things in that radio, so you have to kind of do that. But I also came out with these two things. That Bible that I had thrown against the wall of that cell. This little Gideon Bible that I'd been given when I was locked up that had the New Testament, the Psalms, and the Proverbs that were there all of the things that were there. See, I walked past a barrel full of Bibles, not understanding how he could throw the word away, yet knowing that God had met me every day for the past five years, and he had let me experience this thing called the sovereignty of God, that in Christ, God's awesome sovereign providence is the place I felt the most reverent, the most secure, and the most free. He never left me. He never forsook me. He never stopped running after me. And his promises are true. I was driving in my truck a couple of years ago and this song came over on the radio and I had to stop. And I really had to stop so I could listen to it, Google so I could see the words to it. But it had a chorus in it that I keep singing to me, to myself each day because it really means a lot to me. The chorus said these words. All my life, I have, you have been faithful. And all my life, you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. and that's the message of Romans 9 to 11 so in the life of our friend Rochelle you're going to get to see how God's goodness and God's sovereignty has worked in her life will you welcome Rochelle